Welcome to InfoSecurity Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights, topical debate, and expert interviews from the information and cybersecurity world. Hello and welcome to the August episode of the Info Security Magazine podcast. My name is James Coker, Deputy Editor, Info Security Magazine, uh, and I'm delighted to be hosting this episode. And I'm joined by our reporter, uh, Kevin Poirot. How are you today, Kevin? I'm very good, thanks. Very happy to be on the podcast. Brilliant, thank you. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting topic to discuss as well, so looking forward to it. We're going to be talking about a topic that will sound very familiar to our audience, and that is ransomware, which has obviously been a huge topic in cybersecurity for for well for a long time but certainly the last few years it's really exploded um but it's fair to say we've sort of observed a lot of interesting new trends emerging in regard to this this threat vector that i think is well worth a a, a deep dive discussion into so last year there were indications that we were seeing that ransomware attacks were perhaps slowing down is the the best way to put it certainly not going away by any means um, certainly as a big threat to organizations but on the other hand there's signs that it slowed down from the scow of 2021 when we really saw attacks explode um, for example we saw chain Alice's 2023 crypto crime report which was published at the start of this year and this found that ransomware payments fell by over 40 percent in 2022 compared to 2021 and experts have identified a number of factors that might explain this slowdown. Um, these include legal aspects with governments taking steps not to exactly criminalise ransomware payments, but making it legally riskier. For example, um, sanctioning certain organisations that make payments to them illegal. Um, cyber insurance has also been identified as a potential reason for this slowdown, um, with in cyber insurers placing in increasing demands on clients to improve their cyber security and making it harder to, to sort of pay out for when there are attacks that are occurring. We've also seen a lot of government and law enforcement activities in this area uh, in disrupting the infrastructure of notorious ransomware gangs and sometimes even arresting and prosecuting uh, individual members of it. Uh, so this includes gangs such as Conti and Darkside that have been heavily disrupted by global law enforcement actions in, in the past year or so. Um, there was a report in 2022 by Coveware that found that ransomware as a service operators are evolving their tactics in response to aggressive law enforcement efforts. And this as a result is reducing their profits that they're making from this threat vector. Um, and finally, another big factor in this could be the war in Ukraine, the Russians' invasion of Ukraine. So this potentially has made it harder for Russian-based threat actors to, to launch attacks, um, where we've we've obviously seen a lot of sanctions placed on on, on groups from, from that region, as well as sort of crypto cryptocurrency and the, the ability to, to transfer money in that region. There's also potentially Russian-based actors have, have been drafted into helping the, the Russian government's war effort in, in, in that respect. And this is going to be a topic that we'll be discussing later on in this podcast. However, we have now seen worrying signs that ransomware actors are adapting yet again, and the threat could be back on the rise. I know this is something you've, you've been observing, Kevin. Could you tell us about some of the uh, evidence that you're seeing? Yeah, it, it, it has been uh, on the rise, uh, according to a few different reports that we're going to mention uh, on this podcast. And a testimony of that, and, and just um, just so you know, we're, we're recording this uh, at the end of, of July, 
Um, you've just reported on a new study from Sonic War showing that ransomware attacks increased by 74% in the, the second quarter of 2023. And, and of course, the number one name that comes to mind when we think of ransomware in 2023 is CLOP. According to a recent report from MCSoft, as of the 25th of July, CLOP's supply chain attack targeting the MoveIt file transfer service impacted 435 organizations and over 23 million individuals. The biggest targets are in the US as the US-based organizations account for 71.3% of known victims and this includes 92 schools. But it's far from being just club obviously. Uh, other groups like Black Cat and the infamous Logbit are still very active too. The top industries targeted are the tech, manufacturing, healthcare, education and the financial sector. And uh, regarding the financial sector, I've uh, recently reported on, um, on, on a study um, done by uh, SOC Radar, where they found that Club, Logbit and Black Cat accounted for 75% of all attacks, of all ransomware attacks targeting the financial sector. Financial sector was, uh, was ranked the seventh sector, the seventh most attacked sector uh, by ransomware operators in the early 2023, the early month of 2023. And, and one relatively new things that we've, we've seen, one, one trend that we've seen emerge, um, or at least I don't know if it's, the, if it's a, a trend yet, but one interesting element that we've seen is that uh, there are sometimes two different ransomware groups targeting the same organization. We've seen that with the cosmetic giant Estee Lauder in July. So that's something that we we, we see that uh, they are not stopping and they are picking up the pace now, I think, uh, the, the ransomware operators, uh, so as to even sometimes attack the same targets. Yeah, absolutely. It's worrying and very interesting, I'd say, at the same time to, to see see a lot of the the, the changes and, and the new new vectors and techniques that have been used in this area. So to take a deeper dive into this area, um, Kevin and I have recently undertaken some interviews with experts who have undertaken important research into this area to, to dive more in in depth in, into what's going on in this field. Um, firstly, I, I spoke to Chain Alice's Head of Cyber Threat Intelligence, Jacqueline Burns Coven, to discuss the firm's recent crypto crime mid-year update. Um, so this update found that ransomware is on track to have one of its biggest years to date uh, after a, um, a bit of a drop off in 2022 that the, the, the same firm found. Uh, and they've they also found a lot of uh, notable changes in in techniques used by ransomware attackers um but yeah let's let's take a listen to our to our conversation thank you so much for joining us today jacqueline uh, it's great to have you on the, this episode of the info security magazine podcast i just want to start by asking you the recent chain analysis crypto crime mid-year update found that ransomware is on the rise and the one crypto-based crime set to grow in 2023 this followed the Chainalysis crypto crime report at the start of 2023, which showed that ransomware revenue had declined significantly in 2022 compared to 2021. Firstly, could you tell me if you were surprised by this turnaround and what does it tell us about the nature of the ransomware tactic generally? 
Yeah, so I it, it was really important for us to get this information out in, in public too, so that people could understand this stark reversal we're seeing in ransomware attacks and payments in 2023 compared to 2022. You know, we did we still maintain that 2022 saw a 40% decline in ransom payments compared to 2021, but we weren't really surprised by the surge in 2023. Um, we we were. We had tempered optimism about 2022's findings, um, but there were a number of factors that contributed to that decline. Better defended victims and entities, um, more stringent insurance policies levered against those that they cover to ensure that they have a plan for when they're attacked. They have backups. They have employee training. Um, the availability of decryptors from both the public and private sector, we believe, um, diminished ransomware profits for several groups, and also the the steady cadence of law enforcement takedowns and disruption efforts, as well as sanctions, we believe stymied some of the activity. However, one of the the more unpredictable factors I think that impacted 2022 and is at play with 2023's resurgence in ransom payments is the tide of the Ukraine-Russia conflict. We understand that a, a large proportion of ransomware operators are located in those regions. And we believe that the conflict in 2022 uh, disrupted, displaced um, many of those operatives um, and that they may have also um, uh, rededicated their efforts to um, military conflict um, versus cybercrime. And now that that year of service is up, we believe that ransomware operators are able to return with a vengeance. And we've also, in addition to increased payments, we've seen increased attack numbers in 2023. Yeah, so really interesting to see those trends as, as the, the new chain analysis report demonstrates there's been an increase in both the number of very small ransomware payments and very large ones in 2023. You obviously touched on it in the in your previous answer, but could you kind of go through the, the main factors why you think that there is this kind of new surge in ransomware? We suspect that, uh, you know, there are a number of factors and we can't discount that, you know, there's you know, the potential to still to stave off some of the payments. Um, but we do believe that um, the Russia-Ukraine conflict likely displaced ransomware operators and diverted them away from financially motivated intrusions. And perhaps even some are engaged in the conflict or uh, displaced uh, around the world um, to seek shelter from the conflict. We also understand that insurance companies were levying more stringent security policies on entities that they would cover, requiring backups, requiring a plan for ransomware attack, requiring training, all of those things that would uh, help an organization if they were attacked, perhaps decide that they didn't need to pay. And one uh, factor I do want to dive in a little deeper is the unprecedented cadence of law enforcement disruption activity, arresting individuals, seizing funds, taking down rogue laundering services that have been used to launder ransom payments, as well as sanctions designations. 
and not just designations, but sanctions concerns. We're seeing uh, insurance companies, incident response firms, and victims as a whole more cognizant about whether or not they're paying a designated entity, whether it's specifically listed on the list or tied to an entity or individual or um, even a laundering off-ramp that had been designated. So we're seeing more caution and more due diligence and investigators are using blockchain analytics to map out these actors and entities and look for overlaps. And the reason that is, is because we're seeing, we, we have for several years, but I think with increased velocity, rebranding of ransomware strains. So cosmetically changing the name, but still same groups, um, a lot of times same code. Sometimes they'll try to switch up the code to, to, to trip people up. But really on chain, on the blockchain, we can it's fairly clear um, these rebrands that are occurring. Thanks, Jacqueline. That's, that's really interesting. It's, uh, it's good to see some uh, some really positive areas taking place as, as, as well as uh, some of the, the worrying trends around ransomware. And just to touch on a point you, you made at the end of, of that answer, um, the, the earlier crypto crime report highlighted a number of evolving tactics used by extortion gangs to, uh, to evade law enforcement uh, in 2022. And as you mentioned, that included the regular rebranding of ransomware strains um, to obf- obfuscate their activity and also a move towards exfiltration based strategies to try and entice more organizations to pay up. Um, so I was wondering if you'd, if you'd seen these types of trends persist in 2023 and and also are there any new tactics and approaches that you're seeing emerge yeah so it's it's ever evolving which is also why we were tempered in our expectations after 2022's decline i think we're seeing tactics like um, uh, smaller windows to encrypt we're seeing ransomware operators shorten the negotiation time and I think these exfiltration-only based attacks are very interesting because they really make ransomware operations more efficient. But even if the victim has a backup, I think there's there's still stronger extortion techniques that are at play there to, to get victims to pay. And we really are kind of seeing this dichotomy in payment amounts, so this barbell effect. So, and I think that's partially because um, a lot of entities are better defended. So um, at the beginning of 2023, we were hearing anecdotal reports from some incident response firms that, you know, these it sounds like these threat actors are gonna take whatever they can get. We've negotiated them down to this, or they've, you know, slashed prices. And on the other hand, we're seeing uh, record-breaking demands that are being leaked to the public. So I think what, this environment is doing is uh, for the less sophisticated ransomware operators, it's forcing them to softer targets, uh, schools, hospitals, or less sophisticated, smaller entities. And on the other end of the spectrum, we're seeing um, uh, the big game hunters have returned. They're able to take longer periods of time to plan and execute these attacks some of which are you know, supply chain attacks um, or managed service providers ze- using zero days. So these sophisticated attacks that take a lot of planning and time, but have big payouts, big game at the end of it. Thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. Uh, re- really interesting insights there. And and just finally, um, you, you've obviously talked about 
investigators and, and other aspects of the industry are kind of getting more adapt to tracking illeg- illegitimate crypto transactions and that kind of thing, disrupting the activities of, of these threat groups. But in response to kind of these evolving tactics, um, how should law enforcement and the industry more generally look to counter these these types of trends? I'm encouraged by the global government effort, um, whether that's through sanctions, whether that's through disruption, to combat each aspect of the kill chain. So from those that are supplying tools and services to those that are developing the software, as we saw with the TrickBot designations, uh, to the affiliates, to the mixers that they use. It's been uh, really encouraging, and I think it's definitely kept a lot of these actors on their toes. What the blockchain forensics can do is really shine a spotlight on these laundering services that are being used for these ransomware operators to profit. Like At the end of the day, if it's not profitable, if they can't get their funds out, if their funds are frozen, they're not it's not worth really doing business. And so we are seeing um, the effects of this. We are seeing a much more concentrated subset of services that are being used to launder ransom payments because others have either been taken down or have buttoned up their compliance practices. So it really does take public and private sector across industry together. And just some of the successes we've had with decryptors, victim notification, um, and so it's it's super important for uh, entities to report, um, just as it is for government entities to notify victims. So it, it really is a flywheel and it takes everybody contributing to be able to put pressure on all of those factors that we listed that helped contribute to 2022's decline. Um, we can't let up. And um, we have to adapt them too, because threat actors will adapt. And then we can't ever forget about um, improving security practices. Even the the largest companies are aren't safe. No, everybody has had an incident or is subject to an incident at some point. And so everyone, it takes everyone, it takes every employee. And so the best case scenarios is for organizations not to fall victim to ransomware in the first place. Obviously, that not exactly realistic so having a plan is first all most important yeah i think that's a really important message to to finish on um, as you say it's really encouraging to see some of the successes we're seeing in terms of disrupting ransomware actors but as you say they're always continually adapting their techniques and and the industry and law enforcement every society really has to has to kind of evolve their their approaches and that's uh, prevention as as well thank you so much for your time and your, and your insights jacqueline Re- really appreciate it thank you so much james i enjoyed speaking with you what did you make of that interview, Kevin? Yeah, it was it was very interesting. And, and one thing that I found really uh, enlightening from your conversation, James, is um, what Jacqueline said about the two approaches of, on one side, attacking soft targets, uh, especially for the less sophisticated ransomware operators, while the big players are focusing on big hits. 
So we've certainly seen both of these trends in the in the recent past. For example, we saw a staggering number of schools, universities and public administrations that have been attacked over the past three years by ransomware um, operators. As, as I said earlier, schools were a big targets in the in the move it attack obviously move, the move it attack is, is specific because it's not targeted to these the victims were not especially like direct targets it's uh the victims were just people using uh the the vulnerable software but we've seen ransomware operators targeting spear phishing attacks towards schools in the US and in Europe and other and in other places in the world. So we've we've definitely seen that. And uh, we've also seen big ransomware groups going for the big names. Uh, for example, a few a few weeks ago I reported on on Lockbit, which uh, claimed to have uh, breached TSMC, so one of the biggest uh, semiconductor manufacturers in the world, based in Taiwan, uh, they they asked uh, millions of of dollars. And um, as far as I know, right now, um, TSMC has said one of its contractor has been breached, but uh, none of the of its own data was uh, was compromised. So we've seen that they're getting more, the, the ransomware groups are getting more brazen and they're asking big sums of money, even when maybe they're not really like, for example, they're targeting TSMC because obviously it's a big name. They're not targeting um, the, the, the contractor, but actually we're, we're not sure that the TSMC has been compromised. So we see that they, they, are, um, they are trying to to hit on on big giants. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I found it really interesting to hear about how ransomware attackers are kind of increasingly, it's about basically the threat of, of releasing data um, increasingly more than actually um, encrypting data and sort of holding holding that to, to ransom as well. And I, I think that was, um, that was something that was reported in the, uh, in the study that you mentioned earlier, which which was um, for the the research from SonicWall that, that we published uh, recently. Um, so yeah, some some really interesting trends there. Um, and I know Kevin that you also caught up with a with a with an expert researcher about this topic. And this was Dr. Karen Nershi, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the Stanford Internet Observatory. Um, what what did you discuss in that interview? Uh, yeah, I recently came across uh, this very comprehensive 68-page academic report. She, um, Dr. Karen Nershi, uh, published in, in July with her colleague Shelby Grossman. Um, it's called Assessing the Political Motivations Behind ransomware attacks. So it was published on the 14th of July, and it's the result of two years of research on why ransomware operators, traditionally seen as apolitical and financially motivated actors, could actually align themselves sometimes with with the political agenda, especially the Russian ones. So let's hear Karen. In 2022, we saw a surge in disruptive and and destructive cyber attacks, um, generally attributed to nation-state threat actors, in the wake of the war in Ukraine. But we also saw a decline in ransomware activity, especially um, the the analysis firm uh, Chainalysis. In the summer of 2022, their data showed a, a decline in ransomware cyber attacks. 
And in 2023, ransomware is on the up again. But you've just released uh, a piece of research that showed in, in a way that nation states and ransomware groups could be closer than we think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, thanks so much for having me on here. Uh, but yeah, so in our new recent research project, which I have done with Shelby Grossman, uh, we're both at the Stanford Internet Observatory. And basically, we were interested in understanding what the relationship is specifically between the Russian state and ransomware groups, because there's been some, some evidence, some news that suggests that there is some type of relationship, perhaps, between them. So we were interested in trying to understand this on a, on a macro level. And also, we were interested in investigating uh, whether there are some trends within ransomware attacks that can't really be explained by financial motives alone. So the alternative explanation here would be political motives. So as you mentioned in this project, we collected a data set of the victims of ransomware attacks, focusing specifically on the victims of double extortion attacks. So these are the attacks where uh, groups will steal the data of their victims and threaten to leak the data online uh, on the dark web. And so they post about their victims on the dark web as a part of this process. And we actually visited the sites of uh, groups carrying out these types of attacks periodically for six months to collect information about the victims that they were posting. Uh, we combined this with an existing data set from a cybersecurity firm, Dark Tracer Intelligence. And in total, our data set has over 4,000 victims. So yes, we did this. And through our statistical analyses, we find some suggestive trends that uh, point to uh, possible political motivations behind some of these attacks. Why did you focus on Russia and Russian ransomware group victims? And why did you focus on double extortion victims? So in terms of focusing on double extortion victims, that was really just a matter of being able to access the data. So ransomware attacks uh, can happen at any point, and we might not get information about that attack. In fact, usually we won't because Victims, for example, sometimes don't want to disclose that information. They might have reputational harm if they disclose that they've been a victim of a ransomware attack, um, or they might even face legal liability. But by contrast with these double extortion attacks, uh, the groups were actually posting about the victims themselves on their sites on the dark web. Uh, so this provided an interesting chance to collect data from the threat actors themselves about the attacks uh, that they claim that they're carrying out. And um, for the most part, we believe that this data is reliable. So, so that really gave us an in in terms of our research project. Um, as far as why uh, in the end, kind of the focus is on Russia and Russia's relationship to these groups, that sort of seemed to be the way that things panned out. So as many people are familiar, a lot of ransomware attacks have originated from Eastern Europe in general. The reason why the Russian government really stands out from other governments in the region um, even before the invasion is the fact that the Russian government has really refused to cooperate with Western law enforcement to arrest ransomware operators. So, for example, you had Ukraine uh, cooperated with Western law enforcement to arrest a lot of these group members uh, or, or members operating from Ukraine um, in the lead up or in the last few years. So, yeah, I think that that's why Russia is kind of unique in this relationship that we're looking at. From what I read uh, from your your research, I took three takeaways from it, three findings that I found really interesting. One was on the the, the focus on election that you you observed that there's a, a surge in, in ransomware activities from 
Russian threat actors around um, around elections in the Western world. The fact that there's a decline in ransomware after the the, the start of the war in Ukraine, and and the fact that companies that have uh, shut down business in in Russia or that have uh, completely uh, severed uh, links with their with their Russian um, branches or Russian uh, affiliates have been more likely to suffer from ransomware attacks. Could you talk about these three findings? Absolutely. So starting with the first one, one of the things that we did with our data uh, is that we have uh, the victims of 55 ransomware groups. And so we classify the groups according to whether the group is believed to have core members operating from within Russia. And so we did this according to US government reports and also reports from top cybersecurity firms. And uh, and so we classify the groups according to, uh, to this way. And we find, as you mentioned, that uh, there's an increase, statistically significant increase in the average number of daily attacks uh, in the months before an election across several major democracies. Um, and uh, by contrast, we see no increase in the number of attacks by other groups. So groups without core members operating from within Russia. Uh, so there are a few possible explanations for why we might see uh, this increase in attacks by Russia-based groups. One, uh, it, there could certainly be an explanation related to uh, election meddling, especially if there are connections between the Russian government and these groups. They could be, uh, for example, as well, trying to create chaos before elections. Uh, they could be targeting government infrastructure um, as a way to disrupt things. Uh, so that's a possibility. Uh, there could also also potentially be a type of spillover effect happening uh, where uh, because the Russian government has commissioned some other types of cyber attacks before elections, uh, groups could be sort of sharing or reusing some of the exploits generated for other types of cyber attacks before elections to carry out ransomware. Uh, so we're not entirely sure why we see this increase in attacks, but that is a trend that we identify and it does point to possible political aspects uh, happening in these attacks before elections. Uh, so a second trend that we identify uh, is a decrease in the average daily attacks after the invasion. And so just to caveat that, we uh, stopped collecting our data at the end of April 2022. So we have a little bit more than two months of data after the invasion. So uh, we can't really say long-term, but in the short term after the invasion, there's this decrease in the number of daily attacks, uh, which is equivalent to about four fewer attacks after the invasion uh, per day than, than before. So we attribute this, or we argue that what could be explaining this is actually uh, a disruption in the, in the cyber ecosystem within Russia after the invasion, where the Russian government recruited some of these ransomware operators to help them carry out cyber attacks against Ukraine. So after the invasion, there's a big increase in the number of other types of cyber attacks carried out by Russia against Ukraine. And there's also some evidence to support this. So for example, um, in a Mandiant report, they find that uh, some former members of the Conti ransomware gang were recruited by the Russian government to, to carry out, uh, to help its official cyber offensive against Ukraine. Uh, there's also evidence that tools from Conti and from another ransomware group called Cuba have also been repurposed to help the official uh, Russian cyber offensive. So, so that could be what explains this, this change um, in the and decrease in the number of attacks after the invasion. 
the third main statistical finding that we uh, obtain is that companies that withdrew or suspended operations in Russia after the invasion were more likely to experience a ransomware attack in this period after the invasion. And so to identify this, we looked at a list um, that has been collected by Yale, uh, researchers at Yale that, that looks at over 1,200 companies and identifies them according to the actions that they took after the invasion. So whether they withdrew or suspended their operations in Russia, uh, and this is sort of perceived as a, or presented as a political condemnation of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, or whether the companies chose to remain in Russia and continue their operations there. So we identified all the companies within our data set that are the victims of ransomware attacks that withdrew or suspended operations in Russia after the invasion. And what we find is that these groups were more likely to be targeted after the invasion. Um, so even though the, the expected number of attacks against these companies is pretty low in general, the average or the expected number of attacks against these companies increased by about two thirds after the invasion. So even though the overall number of ransomware attacks goes down after the invasion, these companies that withdrew or suspended operations in Russia were more likely to experience an attack after the invasion. So this suggests that there could potentially have been some sort of retaliatory actions against these companies by ransomware groups. For example, targeting them with ransomware because they suspended or withdrew operations in Russia. Without further evidence, we don't really know why these companies experience more attacks after the invasion, but we do find this, this uh, trend as well. Does this mean that there could be a sort of overlap between um, between nation what we or what uh, cybersecurity uh, threat intelligence analysts uh, call nation state actors or or nation sponsored uh, threat actors and uh, ransomware groups? Uh, there could be. There could be. And um, again, this is uh, extremely hard to parse out uh, relationships between these, but. For example, in one case, which has been covered by the media in the past, these Conti leaks, we see that this ransomware group Conti, uh, its top members had communications with contacts in the Russian government um, and ultimately helped them hack a journalistic organization, uh, Bellingcat, um, and it's believed that their connections were with the FSB. And uh, these chat logs also show that Conti leaders discussed helping with another uh, state-sponsored uh, or cyber operation, which was when uh, with Cozy Bear was uh, this this official um, Russian cyber unit uh, was uh, involved in attacking actually companies and universities researching the vaccine for the COVID-19 virus. Um, so the the chat logs reveal that um, Conti leaders discussed a possible a way that they might collaborate with the official Russian cyber unit on this operation. So yes, at least in these two cases, we see um, this type of communication going back and forth between a ransomware group uh, that was operating independently and uh, the official Russian cyber units. Uh, you, you mentioned Mandiant and uh, at InfoSecurity Magazine, we've reported on uh, on Mandiant's findings and also on, on Google's um, threat analysis group's findings which outlines several phases in the in in the war uh, from from a cyber operations perspective could 
ransomware, the, this this new surge of uh, in ransomware be a new step orchestrated by uh, Russian intelligence or Russian the Russian government? I mean, it could be. So this is extends a little bit beyond the study that we did. Um, so I'm not particularly familiar with the trends that are happening uh, right now or have been happening in the immediate past. Um, but you know, I think it's possible. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, I, I think that there's uh, there are definitely connections. The degree to which um, there are connections between these ransomware groups um, and the government are still a little bit murky. But certainly, there you know there is some degree of communication um, between the two. Is that something that you will keep monitoring? Are you have you planned a uh, similar work? Uh around this, these uh, these topics? Yeah, absolutely. So I have um, actually been uh, speaking with, with some collaborators uh, where we might continue collecting data in the same way um, so that we can continue studying uh, evolving trends. Definitely there's a lot going on. Uh, we've already seen that geopolitical dynamics can also have a big impact on these trends. Uh, so I think it's still a really fruitful area for, for research. If our, our listeners want to, to check out your report, where can they find it? So they can find them on my website. It's probably the easiest way to locate it, uh, which is karennershi.com. Uh, so uh, K-A-R-E-N and then N-E-R-S-H-I.com. And then I have it listed under my research tab. There's a PDF that you can download. Yeah, that was a fascinating discussion there. Um, and it, there's always been a lot of discussion about the link between the Russian government and a lot of ransomware gangs but it's really good to that Karen and her colleagues have been able to drill into the nature of that relationship and how it works in in a bit more detail uh, and it was also really interesting to to hear about the the political motivations of ransomware um and that's as it's a threat vector that we've traditionally always seen as, as something that's motivated purely by financial gain as, as it's obviously um, trying to extort money um, but yeah it's very interesting to hear the the political motivations that we're increasingly seeing behind it um, it was also great to to listen to the conversation delve into a bit more detail into the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine how that perhaps called the short-term reduction in ransomware attacks in countries outside of Ukraine, um, perhaps except for companies that withdrew or suspended operations in, in Russia. Um, but perhaps we're now seeing that uh, almost business as usual to some extent. Um, now we're a bit later down the line. And it was also great to hear a bit of the rationale behind the research and, and how that research was undertaken, which which we don't always hear when it when it comes to these uh, these big research projects. Yeah, it's um it's what I found so great about this report is that um the proximity of certain Russian ransomware groups with Russian intelligence services is something that I feel is a lot uh, talked about uh, in conversations in in the cybersecurity community. It's uh it's mentioned. It's sometimes hinted at, but it's kind of something that we we kind of um, we as journalists and also the the threat hunters, they're very cautious. Uh, they're always uh, usually when we talk to them, they're always like, yeah, this could probably this could likely mean that uh, this group has uh, ties with uh, the GRU, the, the military, uh, the Russian military intelligence or the SVR, uh, another another intelligence service uh, in Russia. But 
they never really have the evidence. And um, this research, which is like a two year long uh, research project, shows some some at least some pieces of evidence backing this hypothesis. And uh, obviously this is not uh, th this is an ongoing topic and it, it will probably require more research on this. Uh, but it is quite something that I found really interesting because, uh, yeah, it's something that is very um, uh, thoroughly discussed and never really uh, supported with real evidence or, or very, very uh, incomplete evidence usually. So if you want to check it out, uh, it's really, really interesting. It's a long report, but um, but they they have provided like very, very uh, insightful graphs as well. And they show they're showing their methodology and uh, it's a it's a must read, I think. And and it's something that we've seen with the North Korean hackers, for example, who are, who are famously linked to the Kim Jong-un regi regime. But it's kind of the first uh, work that I know of on Russian uh, ransomware groups. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's re really important to get get those insights. Like you say, it's it's um, it's always been suspected, but it's it's kind of rare to get those those kind of details and and, and evidence into it. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this episode. Um, I hope really hope you enjoyed it. I, I found it fascinating to kind of explore the continued evolution of ransomware um, there's obviously obviously a lot of worrying trends that, that are now going on uh, there's also positive signs that we're seeing um, more uh, improved actions by law enforcement and governments in this area to to help prevent recover from and ultimately track down the perpetrators of ransomware and um and hopefully we're, we're increasingly seeing a lot more collaboration in this area as well between organizations, between government and, and industry, for example. Um, but one thing is for certain, ransomware will remain a highly effective model for threat actors for many years to come. Uh, and it will be continued to be used. And it's something we, we just have to keep keep track on, keep seeing how techniques evolve and um yeah keep keep trying our best to uh to to prevent this this threat but thank you very much for for joining me today kevin uh giving your insights and also a huge thank you to jacqueline and karen for taking the time to to speak to us for the for this episode uh until next time goodbye goodbye thanks for listening to the info security magazine podcast for in-depth interviews with the industry's leading experts, check out our sister podcast where we sit down with a cybersecurity expert to discuss the hottest topics of the day and their personal journey into cybersecurity. And of course, for more news, analysis and expert insight, head to the InfoSecurity Magazine website at infosecurity-magazine.com.